0: Thank you, Mr. David. Mm -hmm. If you are here with us in person or watching by Facebook Live, I'd ask that you grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 12. After this message, two more, and we'll be halfway through Luke, 62 weeks to get there, and then we will start our series, The Names of God. So this is part three of Good Heavenly Parenting. I've entitled the message, How to Win the War Against Worry. And so to get us thinking on this, let me ask you, what is the most valuable natural resource on the planet? Oxygen. I've heard oxygen, water. None of those are listed in the top 10. Oil, natural gas, coal, timber, gold, silver, copper, uranium, iron ore, and phosphate. Now that's what the world would tell you. But let me tell you, you know what the most valuable natural resource on the planet is? <coughs> I'm looking at it. It's you. John F. Kennedy said, Children of the world's most valuable resource, and listen to what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2 9. But you. That's you. You know what you in Greek means? You. You You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We, God's children, are the most valuable natural resource left on the planet. Somebody said Jesus, but Jesus is in heaven. Amen? Think about it. Does God have a plan B to carry out His will on earth? To bring men, women, children to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ other than through us? What do you do with natural resources other than use them or sell them? You conserve them. You protect them, right? God is no different. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you what? Life more abundantly. And so God wills to protect us from anything that would impair, shorten, or otherwise endanger our physical and or spiritual well-being. Amen? And so Luke 12, Jesus provides some good heavenly parenting. He's seeking to protect his most valuable of resources, his disciples, and he wills to protect them, us from hypocrisy, fear of men more than God, denying Christ, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, as Jimmy preached on last Sunday, greed and covetousness. And let me tell you, while Jesus' words over the last two weeks may not have hit their target, so to speak with you. Maybe you're not struggling with hypocrisy or fear of men or denying Christ or blaspheming the Holy Spirit or greed or covetous. I bet my bottom dollar that these words this morning are going to hit you just like they do me. Slap, dab, bullseye between the eyes. Because if you're one of Jesus' disciples in you, don't worry. I don't know that you're breathing. Amen? And so Jesus would protect us from something that seeks to threaten to undo us, to paralyze us spiritually, and even kill us physically, and that is worry. So I pray God will grant each of us here this morning ears to hear what the Spirit would teach us on how to win the war against worry. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as uh, small a thing as that... Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, that neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Word of God to the people of God, preaching the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we just pray today. That you will help each and every one of us set aside our worries, our distractions, our our anxieties, our cares for this day, Father. That, Father, over the next minutes, Father, that you will speak to us through your word. Father, I pray as I did this morning that you will cause me to decrease and you will increase through me. And, Father, you will speak to your people because we desperately need to hear on this subject of worry today. For each and every one of us cannot say that we are without worry in our lives. Father we thank you so much for Jesus Father thank you for what he did for us Father but most of all for who he is Father and thank you for being our father our daddy a good good father and so Father we pray you would forgive us for we fail you and bless the remainder of this service for it's in Jesus name we pray Amen So to win the war against worry the first thing Jesus does is give some instruction and that is to face the facts first piece of good heavenly parenting with regards to worry that Jesus gives us and to win the warrior against worry is some simple instruction face the facts, Jack. So I'm going to give you ten facts fact number one, worry is a fact of life look at what it says there, Luke writes in verse 22, and he said to lost people, right? is that what it says? He said to His disciples, do not be anxious. I think it's a great fallacy inside the Christian faith that genuine disciples don't worry at all, right? It's kind of like folks say, well, the way we've been married 60 years, we never fought one time ever. Man, y'all lying in church. It's not whether you fight, it's that you know how to fight. It's not whether you worry, it's whether you know how to fight worry. Think of the record of Scripture. Jacob in Genesis 32, 7. He's returning home after many years away. Esau's coming to meet him with 400 men. It says Jacob's immediately anxious. Wouldn't you have been anxious if you were Jacob? Knowing what you know. In Hannah and 1 Samuel 1:10, she's unable to conceive. She's taunted by Peninnah. And she's anxious. She's distressed. Wouldn't you be? Esther. Esther and Esther 4 a royal decree has been sent out the Jews can be massacred Esther is about to risk her life wouldn't you be anxious and worried if you were about to risk your life and so look here the disciples these are people Jesus is speaking to those who are traveling with him who are eating and sleeping with him who are hearing him who are hearing him teach and preach they know him they're genuine fruit bearing disciples and Jesus says don't worry the verb form there in the Greek means to stop an act already in process. Do I have to tell you, don't worry if you're not worrying? I only tell you don't worry if you're what? Worrying. And so to His genuine disciples, Jesus says, don't worry. Think about it. If they were worried over breakfast, what are we going to have for breakfast? There ain't no IHOP. What are we going to have for breakfast, Jesus? Well, we got breakfast down and we survived that. Well, what are we going to do for lunch? There ain't no McDoubles around. How are we going to have lunch? Well, then they get lunch down, and then they're like, well, where are we going to sleep tonight? Jesus said, don't worry about it. I don't even have a, a pillow to put my head on. All I got is a rock. If they worried about every little step of the way, how would they be from a spiritual standpoint? Completely paralyzed and ineffective. And so think about it. Remember, we talked about this. The context of this whole chapter 12 is verse 53 and 54 in which it says that the scribes and the Pharisees are lying in wait for Him to catch Him. Those are hunting and fishing terms. Literally, Jesus is a hunted man. And remember what I said, and the wicked witch says what? I'm coming to get you and your little dog too so the disciples are next. Wouldn't you be worried? And so Jesus says, don't be worried. Think about what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious. Again, you don't have to tell somebody don't be anxious Unless they're what? Anxious. And Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. As Alistair Begg pointed out, he says instead of the Bible, assuming that Christ's followers will have no worry, it tells us how to deal with them when they threaten to undo us. So fact number one, worry is a fact of life. But fact number two is that worry has as its root a failure to trust God. And so look at what he says here, and he said to his disciples, therefore, stop. What have I told you? Anytime you see, therefore, ask, what's it "therefore." What's the context of that sentence? The context of that sentence is what uh, Jimmy preached on last week, the parable of the rich fool. And so look up at verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Worry is greed's kissing cousin. The root of greed and worry are the same. Think about it. People can come into my office and they can have the same illness, but it can manifest itself in different ways. One person may come in and they may say, Doc, man, I just fall out and I'm sleepy all the time. They got diabetes. The other person could come in and they could say, Doc, I'm just drinking all the time and I'm urinating all the time. And guess what? They've got diabetes. The next person could come in and they say, I'm just famished. I just want to eat everything. You know. And th- what do they have? Diabetes. You see the point? It's all manifestations of the same illness. And so greed and worry are really manifestations of the same illness that you can't trust God. Think about it. Greed says you can't trust God and you can never get enough so you better store up. Worry says you can't trust God. You're afraid you're never going to have enough so you better stress up. Right? And so worry is a fact of life. Worry has as its root a failure to trust God. And number three, worry is divided thinking. That's literally what the word means there in the Greek. Look at what Jesus says because your translation may be different than mine in verse 22. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. How many of you's translation says take no thought? If you've got King James or New King James, it probably says that. Take no thought. Twice Jesus says consider. The word there, take no thought in the Greek is from a root that means to be Apart as opposed to whole, and instead divided into parts. We would say to go to pieces because you're pulled apart, torn apart. Turn with me to James chapter 1. That's exactly what worry is it tears us apart, it's divided thinking. And James warns us what that kind of thinking gets us. James 1 verses 6 to 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts, who's divided in his thinking. It's literally what it means there in the Greek too. is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Here it is. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When you worry, Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel tossed to and fro? Do you feel seasick when you worry? Nauseated? Do you feel unstable? Do you feel like you're going to pieces? Like you're torn apart? Very good reason. You know why? Because that is exactly what is happening. You and I are divided in our thinking when we worry. One person said this, "said worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind which if encouraged will cut a channel so wide all our other thoughts will be drained out. So all we can think about is our worries. We worry about our worry, don't we? And so look at what Jesus' words then are. In verse 24, the first word, consider. That word in the Greek literally means to think down. To think up to down. In other words, give it careful thought. Mark Twain once said, I have had many troubles in life, most of them I've never experienced. And isn't that true? Yep. We worry about this and we worry about this and if we would just give it careful thought, the chance that that's probably going to happen is what? Slim and none and Slim done left town. So none. But we worry about it. And so Jesus says, get your mind right. Get your head on straight. Look, worry is rooted here. But you know where it ravages? Here. Even modern medicine acknowledges this. If you go to the doctor with excessive worry, what are they going to do? One of two things. They're either going to put you on Prozac, an SSRI, which orders your thinking. Because why? Your thinking is divided. Or they're going to send you to a therapist to learn coping strategies. Why? Because your thinking is disordered. And so the battle is here. Brothers and sisters, we don't necessarily need Prozac, not that I'm down in it. We don't necessarily need therapy, not that I'm down in that. What we need is Jesus Christ. Paul says put on the helmet of salvation with very good reason because with most of the Christian life, the battle is right here. The problem's here, but the battle is here. And look at what Paul says. Turn to Philippians 4. As Dr. Rogers would say right there in Luke 12, In 22 to 34, you need to put in your margins Philippians 4, 6 to 8 if you don't already know this verse. You might want to even dog ear this page in your Bible. Look back at how Paul even introduces this subject of anxiety. Look at what he says at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Why are we so worried over stuff when tonight or in the next two seconds Jesus might bust the sky and take us home? And what's it matter? The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 8. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, is worry true? No. Then give it an eviction notice. Whatever is honorable, is worry honorable? No. Then kick it out. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, is worry any of those things? Then no. Flush it down the toilet. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Alright, so fact one, is a fact of life? Has as its root affair to trust God. It's divided thinking. And then number four, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 22 to 24. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And so, notice what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about your life. The word life there in the Greek is not bios. Biology is what? The study of life. He's not saying, you know, don't be anxious about the fact that you're living. He's saying don't be anxious about your life. The word there in the Greek means you as a whole. Everything about you. I asked Will if he was going to be here this morning because he worked his way into the sermon, and luckily he's here to get to experience this firsthand. Y'all will appreciate this. If Will were to fill out an app on (laughs) (laughs) ChristianMingle.com and he wanted a girl to know something about him as a whole, what would he say besides and stuff? (laughs) We love you, boy. Noah's about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Noah's over here dying. Noah, would he list the last ten meals he ate? No. Jimmy, would he Snapchat a picture of his closet? His mama says he. she hopes not. Why? Because his will, what he eats and what he wears? No. And that's Jesus' whole point. He's saying life is not what you eat nor what you wear. Verse 23, life's more than food, the body more than clothing. And that is a great lesson for us as American Christians, brothers and sisters. R.H. Mount said this, worry is practical atheism. (laughs) Worry is practical atheism. Craig Groeschel puts it this way. He has a book entitled this and I love this book. The Christian Atheist. Believing in God, but living as if He doesn't exist. And one of the chapters is this. Believing in God, but worrying all the time. Worrying all the time means you're living as if God does not exist. And so let me give you with regards to both of these. Food and clothing. First, food. The past two month journey I have been on myself towards a healthy lifestyle. You notice that? Not diet, lifestyle. Weight and eating, so that I don't have to take cholesterol pills and hopefully don't drop dead of a heart attack. It has more than ever taught me two things. One, how to eat to live, not live to eat, and most of us Americans do the second. We live to eat. Because we get so much pleasure out of it. As opposed to deriving our pleasure from where? Jesus. And then second, how much of a God food is in our lives? I learned that when we went to beaches. And you see people's breakfast platters. And I'm over here with my little keto. And I've got my little portioned out. And these folks got... Rolls and donuts and stuff mounded up. And if you don't think that food is a God in your life, I'm going to give you a challenge on how you can find out if it is. It's spelled F A S T, fast. You go on a week fast and you'll find out how much of a God food is in our life. And then clothing. Don't throw you, Pastor and First Lady, out because of this, but we watched Married at First Sight. And there was an episode in which one of the girls, Amber, she literally has, she has, to have a, she has to have a closet for her closet of shoes. And the one girl, Danielle, they get married at first sight and everything's going great, and then they're back from the honeymoon and they sit down and she tells Bobby, she says, Well, I just got to tell you a little something. I really like stuff and I'm $15,000 in credit card debt. thought he was going to fall off that chair, Uh choke on his spit. Go on an airline and read the magazines. As one person says, every product imaginable for the body is promoted, how to tan it, massage it, pamper it, clothe it, drug it, and stimulate it. That's America. (laughs) And so if life is more than a good meal and a new outfit, it's certainly more than worrying about those things. Amen? Not to mention, what have we been learning and experiencing God? What you do next says what? What you believe about God. You see, I left out the last half of R.H. Mount's quote. Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. It is offensive to him. Because look at what Jesus says. Don't worry about your life. Who created you? God. You don't think the man that created you and then sent his son to die for you, you don't think he can be trusted to give you the food that you need and to put the clothes on your back that you need? That is offensive to such a good, good father. Not to mention what's He promised in His Word. Right in your margins. Philippians 4.19 Our God will supply your every want, but He will supply your every need. Why? Because He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. Dr. Rogers says faith is taking God at His Word. And when we worry about all these temporal things, it's a sin. It's a lack of faith. It's not taking God at His Word. I mean, God's not a deist. He didn't create the world. Why in the clock? Flip it out there and like Elvis, leave the building. He can be trusted to feed and clothe us. And in driving this point home, Jesus gives an illustration that each and every one of us understands. Look at what He says. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. I walked out this morning to do my morning walk. And it's just a beautiful day. And I look up and there's no less than a half dozen birds sitting on the power lines. Now, this is how I saw them. This is what they were doing. Mm, I don't know how I'm going to get any worms today. I don't know how I'm going to find enough twigs to build a nest. Oh Lord help me. They were calling saying I need an appointment down at Lakeside. I'm just so stressed about what's going in my life. Do you think I really saw the birds doing that? No. Jesus says, take an example from the birds. Consider them. Don't lose your head. Use your head. Right, coach? Use your head is what Jesus is saying. Look at the ravens. Look at the rich fool. He sold and reaped and tore down storehouses and barns and built bigger ones. But these birds don't even sow. They don't reap. They ain't got no barn. They ain't got no house. And yet God feeds them. The rich man's got every advantage. The bird's got none. And yet who's got the greater advantage? The bird. You know why? Because he's got God. Worry leaves out the God factor. Now, does that absolve us of personal responsibility? No. Because listen to how the New Living Translation translates Proverbs 6. Take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Yes, God feeds the birds, but does He put the worms in the nest? No. As I've said, pray if it all depends on you and then work as if it all depends on... Or pray as if it all depends on God and then work as if it all depends on who? You. All right, so fact number five. You're more valuable than birds. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. And then He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? And it's very interesting that Jesus picks ravens. Because what do you know about ravens? What do they eat? What's a dove eat? Where are you going to go and shoot a dove? In a cornfield.
1: Because
0: they eat grain. If you want to shoot a raven, I don't know why you'd ever want to shoot one and eat it, but if you wanted to, where would you find one? Wherever there's a dead animal. They eat dead stuff. They eat flesh. Not to mention in Leviticus 11.15, they're noted to be unclean and they were infamous for not even feeding their own young we would say they're dirty birds yeah even these dirty birds were fed and even used by God listen to this rhyme said the robin to the sparrow I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so said the sparrow to the robin friend I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Now, the birds truly have a heavenly father? No, because only we bear God's image. Amen? But if we know Him, we have double paternity. He created us and He regenerated us. Do you think He's just going to let us sit out there and starve to death and not have enough clothes on our back? Worry insults God and it defies reality. Fact number six, you can't add time to your life. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25 to 26. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Let me ask you, was the rich, young, was the rich fool able to add any time to his life? When God summons comes, guess what? I don't care, as I've said, if there's a hundred doctors in the room and they got all the atropine and this and that and epinephrine and things to shock you and all that, guess what? When God says it is time, It is time, brothers and sisters. You can't add an hour. You can't even add a millisecond. And so he says, if you can't do that, then why are you anxious about the rest? Worry has been infamously compared to a rocking chair. It gives you something to do and nowhere to go. As I've said, we're all stressed up and nowhere to go. And that's Jesus' point here. You can't add a single hour to your life, but can I tell you as a pastor and a physician, you can't add an hour to your life, but you sure can deduct some. Do you know what the number one killer in America is? Heart disease, 38% of all deaths. Many of those are related to high blood pressure and as people have already pointed out, what? Anxiety and stress there's a lot of instances in which the death certificate, it might have something written as the primary cause of death, but brothers and sisters, can I really tell you that the primary cause of death ought to say worry? It ought to say worry. And so Jesus says, if it does no good, in fact it does harm, why do you worry? So repeat after me, worry is useless and harmful. Worry is useless
1: and harmful.
0: In fact, number seven, God makes the flowers absolutely beautiful. Look at what he says there in verse 27, 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Think about it. We adorn our walls with, we decorate, or we adorn our yards with, we decorate our walls with. Men sin on special occasions and we're all by on a nature wall, flowers. Why? Because they're absolutely beautiful. When we went to Yosemite, you see green and gray and brown, trees, grass, rocks, and dirt, and then boom, yellows and blues and reds and whites and pinks, the flowers. Can you imagine a bee's eye view of all of that? And so Jesus says, consider the lilies, three things. One, how they grow. Now, when I went on my walk this morning. Do you think I saw any flowers and grass sitting there going, oh, man, how am I going to grow? I don't know how I made it through yesterday. I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. we weren't doing that. There's no worrywart flowers. And then how they're arrayed. You can go to the runways of Paris. You can go to the pages of Cosmopolitan. You can go to the red carpet of Hollywood, and ain't none of them as beautiful as a flower. And then number three, how are alive today and tomorrow. Gone. Grass is transient. That's why Scripture often compares our lives to it. It's also valueless. You think you can go to McDonald's and buy your next McDouble with a pile of grass? And so if God clothes something that's so transient and valueless with such splendor, don't you think He'll clothe you who are eternal and invaluable? Luther says, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teachers. Thank you, flowers, who are to be devoured by the cows. God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and teachers. And in fact number eight, worry is a big old F in the faith department. Look at what Jesus says, O ye of little faith. Disbelief is a midwife of worry. And at the heart of it's a lack of faith. Think about it. When the disciples were in the boat and the storm comes, what do they start doing? Wringing their hands. Oh, I think we're going to die. Jesus gets up and just calms the storm. Peter, he's walking on water, and then what does he do? He looks at the waves and all that, and he starts to stress out and worry. And What's he start to do? Sink. And then in Matthew sixteen eight, when Jesus is feeding the five thousand, he says, "You go get them some bread." And what are we going to do? How are we going to get them some bread? I mean, they've literally seen Jesus raise the dead. And they're worried about where they're going to get some bread. Brothers and sisters, we are going to face troubles in this life, and worry will come. When I was counseling Evan and Alyssa, did I tell you that you won't have any troubles in marriage? The very first verse I start out with is 1 Corinthians 7:28. Paul says that if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. And in this life, brothers and sisters, we will have trouble and we will have worry. Here's the solution, as Luther says, pray and let God worry. Yeah, sure. Now that may not be Baptist, but that's biblical. Go back to Philippians 4, 6-7. to Alright, fact number nine, worry is worldly. It's worldly. Look at what Jesus says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Matthew renders it for the Gentiles seek after these things. Who are the Gentiles? The unsaved, the lost. That's what they do, is worry. Worry's not to be that comfortable t shirt or hoodie in a Christian's closet that they go and put on every day after work and adorn themselves with it. You know why? Because we're a new creation. In Colossians 3, Paul says, Put off the old man and put on the new man. Let me ask you would you ever run around with the clothes of a dead, decomposed man? Show up to work on Monday and everybody say, Man, those clothes are looking real good. Where did you get those? Say, I got them down at the graveyard. I took them off of some dude that's been dead for 10 years. Would you do that? Then why do we put on the old grave clothes of worry when we're a new creation? Tear that stuff off. Remember what I said. We can't expect lost folks to act saved, but we ought to expect safe folks not to act lost, right? That's, right? that's
1: right.
0: Not to mention, the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. I passed through the emergency room the other day for an ME case, and there were a couple guys in there, Dickie and Amy know very well. One of them said to the other one, Where are you be staying, man? Can I tell you my address on my driver's license? It says 134 Lane, Brighton. But don't y'all be fooled by that, because that's a lie. My address is 134 Golden Street Avenue, Heaven. Because I'm already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's what the Scriptures say. So why would I worry? The word here that Jesus used literally means it's the word we get meteor from. It literally means to be suspended between earth and heaven. You're literally, when you worry, suspending yourself between what is our earthly home for now and where we really reside in our heavenly home. We're just suspended in midair. Not to mention, what does the world say of worldly Christians? 1 John 2.15, that if you have the love of the world, the love of the Father ain't in you. In James 4.4, 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. worry war Christians ought to be like unicorns. They don't exist. Jesus doesn't advise us not to worry. He commands us not to worry. And in fact, number 10, our God is an omnipotent, omniscient Father. Look at what he says in verse 30. Your father knows that you need them. God knows our needs, amen. Yes. He's omniscient. Now, praise God that he ain't just a knowing God, he's a doing God. Jesus knew the heartache and the need of the hour of the widow at nan. And with her son laying there dead on a in a casket, did he just say, Well, I know what you need? He did something about it. He said, young man, arise! And he gave that child back to his mother. He knew the pain of personal loss and how devastated Jairus was as his 12-year-old girl is laying at the door of death. And Jesus said, what? She just sleeps and everybody laughed at him. And then he went in and he did something. He said, child, arise! I put in my notes, our God ain't a T-Rex God. He ain't got a big old head and little bitty arms. Our God is omniscient, and then He's got arms that are infinitely long. Ephesians 3.20 He who is able to do far more abundantly than you would ever even imagine. Amen. And like I've said, if our God, we, we sing all the time, He's got the whole world in His hands and we don't believe it. And He's got the whole world in His hands and guess who's in His hands? You. So why are we worry and not believing? Alright, finally, win the war against worry, the prescription. Put first things first. Three medicines I'm going to give you quickly. Medicine number one is put God first. Look at what He says in verse 31. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. That word seek there means to set your heart on, fixate. The tense there is to do this every single day. Fix your heart on the kingdom. Fix your heart on God. Fix your heart on Jesus. That's why I asked David to sing that song for us this morning. Because that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, to win the war against worry, is we need to wake up with our mind stayed on Jesus. I sent him a text and I said, Brother, you up for a challenge? He probably fell out of his chair. Oh, Lord, what's he going to ask? But was that not an amazing song? I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I'm going to tell you, you can wake up and you can set your heart on, or the kid's going to get on the bus in time. Am I going to be late to work? Is anybody going to notice that my clothes aren't ironed or I got this stain on my shirt? Is my car going to start? Is the house going to catch fire while I'm at work? Is my paycheck on Friday going to be enough to cover my bills? What are we going to have for supper? What's my mama's biopsy going to show? How many people will be at church Sunday? Do those folks down there even like me? Does God even love me? On and on and on, we can fixate on that, brothers and sisters, Or we can wake up with our minds stayed on Jesus that this is the truth. God loves me. And nothing can separate me from the love of God. God has adopted me. I am His child. I am forgiven. No weapon formed against me shall prevail. The devil is defeated. Out of here Satan, because you are a defeated foe. My God will supply my every need. He's able to do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or think. Jesus in Luke 16, 13 says, you cannot have two masters. Worry will be your master or Jesus will be your master. If you wake up with your mind stayed on your problems and guess what? You're going to be flooded with worry. You wake up with your mind stayed on Jesus and you're going to be flooded with the peace of God. Which pill do you want to swallow every morning? Medicine number two, flee fear. Look at what he says in verse two. Fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom you ever told your kids to knock it off was it because they were being angels and weren't doing anything at all wrong yeah You, you have to tell them to knock it off when they're doing something wrong right and so Jesus tells us to knock it off fear not that means to stop something you're already doing When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality, you know who I always think of? Joseph in Genesis 39.12. Potiphar's wife is coming on to him and she says, oh Joseph, you're looking good and I'm looking good. Why don't you come in here in the bedroom with me? And what does Joseph do? Bam! He's out of there, man. He runs out of there so fast. Literally, she has a piece of his shirt tore off in her hand. And so listen to me. When I see this, Jesus says, fear not, run from it. I picture the same thing. When fear and worry and anxiety comes up to you and says, hey, won't you come lay down with me? Run! Run into the arms of your good, good Father. Because look at what Jesus says, little flock. He loves us and He wants to care for us because He is a good, good Father and He loves to take care of His sheep. The Nelson Study Bible said this with regards to this verse. The materialistic world is like a group of passengers frantically scurrying to get the best deck chair on a sinking ship. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we ain't on the Titanic. We're on the old, grand old ship of Zion. She ain't never lost a soul, and no danger can befall us, with Jesus, at the helm. Listen to the chorus of that song. Soon we'll anchor in the harbor, Soon we'll reach the golden shore. Then we'll all sing hallelujah, safe at home forevermore in the kingdom that it's our Father's good pleasure to give us. He doesn't grudgingly give it to us. He joyfully gives it to us. And so let's flee fear and run into the arms of our good, good Father. And then the third medicine is to reduce your worry load. Look at what Jesus says in verse 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So, circle the words sell, give, and provide. What we can do, two words, divest and invest. Number one, divest. Sell and give. In my Bible, there's a little superscript right by that. and It says, see Matthew 19, 21. And in that translation, Jesus, or in that verse, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. I heard a sermon, Billy, after he had, uh, uh, did the devotion for men's breakfast, was talking about Rock Collins, an evangelist. And I listened to a message he had this week. He preached down at First Baptist Millington. And then he got to talking about tithing. And then it's 10%. And in Malachi 3.8, it says, Would a man rob God? But y'all have robbed me. Of what? Tithes and offerings. And he said, there's a bunch of thieves up in the house tonight. And he said, now y'all going to say that's Old Testament. We're a New Testament church. He said, okay, Jesus in the New Testament says sell all. A hundred percent. Oh, okay, well we'll be an Old Testament church. But is that Jesus' real expectation? Is that we will just sell everything? Is that a universal command? No, because there were plenty of rich men that had money and stuff in Scripture, Right? Sell is about priorities. What if I said, if I wanted to check your priorities as your pastor, I'm going to ask you for two things. Your checkbook and your calendar. And I'll know where your heart is at. So it's not whether we possess money and stuff as Jimmy talked about last week. It's does it possess us? Is God first? Are we being idols because, or committing idolatry because we're putting money and stuff before the Lord? And so he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. I love what Dr. Wearsby says. He says, Hang loose with regards to your stuff. Be willing even to sell it if that was what was need be, because that was what the early church in Acts 2 did. So you want to reduce your worry load, not increase it, divest. The second thing is invest. Look at what Jesus says. Provide yourselves with money bags. Let me ask you, what report is on every episode of the nightly news? Other than the weather, which is wrong 11 times out of 10. Dow Jones. Dow Jones, stock market. And what do we do? We fret about it. Is it up? Is it down? Is it sideways? Where is it going? How much money's in my 401k? Why do we do that? Because it's where our heart is. And you say, no, nah, my heart's with Jesus. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so we worry in fret over the stock market—is it up or down? Is my 401k making money, losing money? Is it going to be there when I need it? Are uh, we going to lose it because the economy's going terrible? Because Trump's terrible, or whoever is the president? Obama's terrible, whoever? Can I tell you that God's 401k? It ain't ever lost a dime yet. Amen. Not to mention, you can't take it with you, right? Think about it. You won't get depressed. Think about what your kids are going to do with your money when you're gone. (laughs)
1: That's
0: why I take trips to Jamaica so I can spend it. But most importantly, the reason I put it in heaven first national is because Jesus Christ bled and died for me and saved me when I was blaspheming in Him. And that's what a lot of us need to do. We need to put it in heaven first national. One translation says, listen to this, get yourself a bank that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. And think about it. Where is it that we really want to reside? Wherever our treasure is. And if your treasure is in your 401k, then what do you do? You just sit and you look forward to what? Retirement. And to the golden years but if your treasure is in heaven you're going to long for heaven and you're going to long for the golden streets and so when our treasure is on earthly stuff that can be lost we're going to worry but what's in first heaven first national what we're going to have joy so where is your heart is it in you bank account your home your garage your kitchen your yard your wardrobe your vacation home or is it in heaven here at Crossway, in Tipton County, in Africa. If it's there, then it's what? Hakuna Matata. Because there ain't no worries. In closing, how many of you like to thumb wrestle? We'll thumb wrestle at our house a lot of times. One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Will has long thumbs. Will has long thumbs. He's very difficult to beat. Will's the reigning champion at our house, that's for sure. Back in Genesis 3, Satan declared a thumb war, if you would, with God and all who bear His image. And can I tell you, I don't care how hard old Satan tried, quick strike, play possum, go for the knuckle, wait on God to tire out, do the rabbit hole or the snake hole. Jesus beat him at Calvary, amen? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, he might be down, but he ain't out. He's still devouring and destroying. And can I tell you one of his best destroyers he routinely sends out on the sea of your life to sink your battleship is worry. Listen to me. Think of what it does to us. It literally makes you physically sick. It literally could give you a heart attack and kill you. Spiritually, it can paralyze your faith. Would you drink that concoction if I put it in a bottle? And said, now drink this, it's going to do all these things to you. Would you drink that? Would you want your kids to drink it? Then why do we drink worry? And then think of what it does to others. I couldn't improve on this, so listen to what Dr. Weersby said. How can we witness to a lost world and encourage them to put faith in Jesus Christ if we ourselves are doubting God and worrying? Is it not inconsistent to preach faith and yet not practice it? Late chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Pete Marshall, once prayed this. Listen. Ulcers would not become the badge of our faith. And he says they have. Ulcers have become the badge of our faith. Do you want your family, friends, coworkers, classmates to put faith in Christ, be saved and go to heaven or renounce faith in Christ, be eternally lost and go to hell? Obviously the former. That we would be that fifth gospel. That when they come to us and they say, do you ever worry? Because I'm worried. We wouldn't just say, oh, I'm a good little Christian. I never worry. We would say, yes, I worry. But let me tell you how you cannot allow it to wreck your life and master you through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, medical establishment, mainly big pharma would have us all on Prozac, wouldn't they? And there ain't nothing simple in and of itself, because it's helped a lot of folks. But Brothers and sisters, what we need is what won the war to begin with, and that's Calvary. We need the cross of Christ in our life every day. We need the instruction and the prescription that Jesus gave us that we would win the war against worry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time. Father, just pray that you would have each and every one of us not to harden our heart to what you have said this morning, but to, Father, to listen to carefully what you have said and what the Spirit has spoken today. That Father, we can take something today and apply it to our lives. Father, that we can look more like you. And, Father, we can experience this side of heaven, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. Father, I pray as we come to this time of invitation that you would just bless it. Any decision that needs to be made for you today, that it would be made in accord with your will. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. And So if you're here today and you're saved and there's something that you are legitimately worried about because what did I say? Worry is a fact of life, right? I said the cure is what? Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer. If there's something you're legitimately worried about today come down. I don't care what time it is. I ain't got nowhere to go. You might. But what's more important? That God's people deal with what God wants us to do. And so come down. I'll pray with you. Jimmy will come down. He'll pray with you. A deacon will grab you and pray with you. We'll pray with you. Let me ask you, are you a unicorn? A worry-warp Christian? Jesus gave us the prescription. So which medicine do you need to take? Do you need to put God first? seek His kingdom, stay in mind on Jesus? Do you need to run from fear into the arms of your good, good Father? Are you overburdened? Commit to divest and invest. And then if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I would ask you, you may say, yeah, I know Him, but I would ask you, does He know you? And if you say, no, I don't, can I tell you something in truth? You ought to be legitimately worried. Because judgment is coming. The death rate in your family is 100%. This week alone, three men that I had to go out in the middle of the night and see. But I guarantee you when they laid their head down that night, I wonder if they knew it was going to be the last breath they took. Brothers and sisters, there ain't no second chances. We ain't Catholic. We ain't praying nobody out of purgatory. Listen to what Revelation 20:11. says. 15 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. You better be in that one. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Listen, here it is. According to what they had done. If you want to play the good person card, God's going to let you play that defense. But can I tell you, it's not going to work. When you stand as a three-time, at least, unholy person before a three-time holy God, that ain't going to work out for you. Your life will say otherwise. If you want to play the good work card, Jesus will let you play that defense too. But I've told you before, you're going to have to stand on the scales of justice. And I want you to tell me How many good works is good enough? Did you do all your homework? Did you do your algebra right? Did you know exactly how many good works you needed to have to have a positive number on that scale? The greatest news is Jesus pushed you off the scale if you put your faith and trust in Him, and He steps on it and He says, He ain't righteous, but I am and He's mine. better not leave here today without your name written in the book of life and quickly the way you do that is you believe You believe that he was dead and he is now alive and then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the Bible says you will be saved and then you receive he is a gift and gifts have to be received and it says that he those who received him he gave the right to be children of God and then you repent That's a lifetime of learning to change your mind and then change your actions. So whether you're born again or need to be born again this morning, don't harden your heart, brothers and sisters, to the Lord's voice this morning as we sing. He's calling each and every person here to respond. Let's stand. Let's stand. Turn to page
2: 297. (laughs) Sir, me, O oh God. from every sin and sin.